guys, my podcast hatch just blew. I I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. <laughs> that reminded me of the time you left. You closed the Warzone game before everyone was fully dead. <laughs> like who who felt worse in the moment? You or was it Gus? Yeah, it was Gus Grissom. Uh, yeah, that's true. I I did admit I didn't I didn't lie. I was true, like, but yeah. you thought about lying. I thought about lying. There was there was like a two second pause when you were like, "What happened?" To for me thinking maybe I'll lie. <laughs> no, I won't. Well, to quote Joe, lying is easy. <laughs> I did say that. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of a free podcast. I'm your co-host Rob, and joined as always by some of my favorite pud knockers, Joe and Duff. <laughs> I'm here, and so is the right Duff. <laughs> so all of my notes are on the new kids on the block single. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Was it three hours long? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's the right one. Um, yeah, we are going to talk about the uh, the right stuff. The uh, 1983 movie. Yes. Yeah, um, and uh, and this is our continuing. This is our third episode, fourth episode actually of um, when movies attack. We previously talked about Waterworld and Roar and The Crow. Now we're talking about the right stuff. So if you know the theme of the season, something happens on set that's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty bananas production. Yes, uh, overall. In general. So if you haven't seen the right stuff, let's, you know what, this is not going to be much of a plot synopsis because this movie, I like this movie, but there's not a lot for a three hour plus movie. There's not a lot of like plot to necessarily there's, talk about. There's no real cause and effect going on. Yeah, I mean, just like this happened and then this happened. Yeah. This yeah. is what it was like for these people when that thing happened, you know? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Like, yeah. Very like, yep. sort of. I don't know if I'd say episodic exactly, but kind of. Yeah, I I, I said it's like it's a five star educational film. Um, but anyways, it, it starts out uh, it starts out in uh, in 1947 at an airfield, and we meet uh, Chuck Yeager, who uh, ends up you know they're all really scared about breaking the sound barrier. I don't know if it's possible or not. And, uh, you know, when they talk about it, it does kind of make sense that I, I imagine I would be like, I don't think you can go faster than the speed of sound. I think it would ruin you somehow. Well, think of I, how, yeah, like think about it in 1947, how crazy that sounds. Yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, he ends up doing it and, uh, and then we sort of like move forward in this, in the timeline and we start meeting, um, we meet the, uh, the, God, the, Mer- the Dennis the Mercur- Quaid character. Oh, uh, Gordo. Gordo. We meet Gordo, and we and, and he's there as well, along with um, Gus Grissom, and uh, we kind of watch them, and then we sort of move forward to uh, them recruiting, essentially the uh, NASA recruiting the Mercury Seven, and uh, essentially they run all these astronauts or potential astronauts through all these crazy tests, and eventually come across the seven people who would be the first ones that are going to send off into space. This is the Mercury seven. This includes Gordo, which we mentioned. It also includes, um, uh, Gus 
along with uh, most famously, I obviously would be John Glenn is in here, who's who's played by Ed Harris. And we sort of just like the you know the majority of the movie from there is just sort of watching these guys. There's vibing. Deal- Vibing, yeah, like trying to like figure yeah. out, like, man, we're gonna go to like, space. Like this... time passes, but we're not, you know. Again, there's, I guess the un, the unseen enemy for most of the movie is that the Russians did it, so we need to do it. <laughs> Which, like, as a motivating factor, does not hold up well for anyone under the age of like 40, 35. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you if you were like eighteen watching this, you'd just be like, why do we care so much? And I don't really know how you like, if you could adequately explain why, really, right? Yeah, I. You kind of. I mean, I, you, you could explain can, why, but could you? Uh, would they be the, convinced though? It's the movie, It's a different world. The movie does an okay job of kind of explaining it. Where I forget who it is. They say, um, "Well, you know, the the British Empire ruled the world because they mastered the sea, and the whoever oh, yeah. co- whoever controls space is going to control guess. the world." So yeah. good for an LBJ said that i think so yeah he comes across great in this movie this, <laughs> this might be my favorite lbj performance because he's just an angry toddler of a cowboy just absolutely like the most insecure person in the planet yeah. uh so we could i'm not going to go over like the details but essentially like some go to space other ones you know uh, we don't really see them go to space some of them are like thrilling victories others like gus there's a bit of a mishap and there's like real real uh controversy on if he had blown a hatch on his own or if it happened uh just spontaneously um we'll get into that as we probably talk about these mercury seven guys more in detail um and then the movie sort of ends with uh the gordo character who's mentioned played by dennis quaid goes off into space and then we kind of go back to like almost an epilogue and we go back to that uh that airfield and we have chuck yeager and uh, he, there's like a new, you know, a new jet he wants to try out. So he takes that and uh, breaks an altitude record, I think. And then uh, almost the breaks movie... himself. <laughs> yeah. And, and does the break movie... the jet. And then the movie kind of ends. So it's sort of like a, it sounds like I'm being dismissive of this movie. I, I would argue that for a three hour plus movie, I feel like it clicks along pretty fast, especially considering there's not really like a beginning, middle and end to this. I, I would say. Your enjoyment of this film depends on one thing and one thing only. You like jets? Yeah. Well, okay. Two things then. You want? You, do you like watching people go real fast? Mm-hmm. And do you love to watch dudes rock? Because yeah. this is just a movie of just dudes vibing and rocking, mm-hmm. and wives fretting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I was really relieved that, like, you know, that I, I, and I really actually don't. Like those scenes, I was really worried. I was like, "Oh God, is it just going to be another movie with a bunch of wet, bl- wet blanket women, uh, like fretting and worrying all the time and telling telling the dudes not to rock?" The, none of that at all. No, They're really, actually, like the, the the function they have in the story is just to show how awful their families were treated during all mm-hmm. this, and and just how they're basically just props and disposable for the U.S. government and for the media. Yeah, and I, or am I, I being too cynical in my reading of the film? No, I, I like I, I think I read. I don't know if they mentioned it in the movie or if I just read this. Is that like every day there's like, oh, there's a one in four chance my husband might not come home. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's actually it's actually a bit. I think it's like forty percent. It's actually higher than twenty five percent too. I yeah, think. but yeah, it's basically 
yeah, the government is shipping you off to this like crappy ranch in the middle of the desert and you you have nothing to do but sit there while your husband goes off and flies the most dangerous machine in the world. Yeah, and and, and you're getting all- like $250 a week. It's an insane amount of missions and attempts of launching a rocket they do in this like four year span. <laughs> they busted a lot of rockets. <laughs> it's yeah. it's incredible. I mean, oh, you, me. and now it's like it's so different. Like it seems like you either don't hear as much about work that NASA's doing, and they're clearly not funded nearly as much as I mean this this was like we'll get to this, but this was like a pretty huge national endeavor. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And like I said earlier, why I think this is like a really good educational film. I don't know how like accurate the like person and story parts of this are, but like just from a general getting the idea of what the space race was like, I think this nails it. You got to get a weird chubby German (laughs) and unlimited amounts of money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to let some kind of, they kind of, uh, skate around like German, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, like they're like the Russians have their Germans, but our Germans are better. And I, then there's just this pause. And I'm like, you're leaving one important part out. Well, I did, I did like that though because I, it did kind of imply like at first it's like, oh, the Russians just got the Germans left over from the war, and it's like, ah, oh, ours are better because the U.S. very much just did take all the Nazis who were useful and bring them over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, this movie is comes out gets nominated for a bunch of uh i don't remember like quite a few um oscar nominations it won it won four i think it was nominated for like seven or eight yeah it was nominated for yeah i think eight won four of them was nominated for best picture didn't win what's crazy about this movie is critically loved and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit it was an absolute flop it the budget was 27 million and it made 21 million i mean it did not do well which is pretty wild considering critically how well this is appraised i think the the like uh ebert and uh siskel and ebert in the end of the 80s i think both had this movie in their top five movies of the 80s i it was one of them i i can't remember which said that the only better movie of the decade was raging bull yeah i think that was ebert yeah Yeah, ebert had it had it that's crazy he put it number two and and siskel had it um number three behind showa and raging bull I don't get it. Well, so they're they were prime boomers though, and this is yeah. a prime boomer. Movie. I guess, uh, yeah, you know, that's probably that's a great point because I'm not emotionally invested into anything any of these people are doing. Like it, it's utterly, other than sort of like, oh, that's that must be neat to be in space. Like we sort of have a vague sense of that, and I certainly understand the scientific significance and historical significance of going to the moon, even though that's after this. But like, yeah, but this sets but it like, up. Yeah. I, I don't feel anything about any of that stuff. Do you guys? Not, well, not from this. Like the the feeling. Like I'm a big. I, I'm pretty big into like. You're a moon man. Re- yeah, I'm a moon man. <laughs> like I, I really like reading and watching things. Like that uh, that HBO series from the Earth to the Moon from like 20 years ago was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like watching all that stuff is super cool. I agree definitely. So I'm really interested, but I kind of agree that this this kind of is divorced from context. I mean, you do have some stuff with like LBJ having a hissy fit, and <laughs> and you have some stuff about the Russians, but the Sputnik and stuff, yeah, yeah. But it's just 
kind of like what Joe says, like just dudes seeing how much they can endure. How much how much can we pump into these dudes colon and can they hold it? Which is well, a weird a weird test, by the way. Yeah. Well, so I feel like I can't answer this question without bias because the summer I saw this was when I was a a junior in high school and I was staying with my aunt and uncle in Virginia and I was uh, working at at NASA that summer and uh, you know I would just like go through you know sometimes like people forget like see like seeing someone else's DVD collection and having access to it was like a pretty exciting thing. You'd be like, oh, look at all these movies. I haven't seen this. And so The Right Stuff was one of those movies that I put on and watched one night. And I watched, like, the whole three-plus hours. And I think, like, time and place for me, I was like, oh, this is cool. Not that I was doing anything about going to space. I was, like, doing just, like, you you know, science stuff. You didn't have to do the weird enema test to see if you could make it to the bathroom? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have to go into a So for anyone who's not familiar with this, they do a battery of tests... Um, but the test I'm referring to is, among other things, um, we don't get a ton of background, but it seems like they just gave these guys an enema and saw if they could make it to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite sure. I just knew they don't give a lot of background. They're... Yeah, <laughs> it just they looked very uncomfortable walking. Yeah, uh, to get where they needed they were to they get were to. holding up like a hot water bottle connected to their anus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as you do, as yeah. you do. The the other thing is the other test they had to do was, um, they had to give a. They had to give a a, a semen sample, yeah. and it uh, it has uh, you've done the, that. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, and it has uh, the Dennis Quaid character going in the bathroom to do it, and they just like you know it's like a regular bathroom with stalls, and in the stall next to it is um is John Glenn played by Ed Harris, who like is just humming the entire time. <laughs> he, Which... <laughs> he gets off to humming patriotic songs. <laughs> what a weirdo, man. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot that happens. This movie comes out, like I said, and uh, wins awards, critically liked, Didn't people didn't really go see it. And I don't know, I don't know how much that changed, you know? It doesn't feel like a movie that, like, had much of a life on VHS or DVD, does it, that you guys know? It's a movie that is referenced a lot, but never specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, everyone. Like, I feel like everyone kind of knows, like, oh, the right stuff. It's the astronaut movie, but like, no one knows any scenes. Maybe you'll be able to mention someone who's in it, but that's about it. Yeah, and uh, the company I wanted to bring up is it, there's a company, a production company called the Lad uh, Company, and I find I don't know, maybe this isn't interesting to anyone else, but this is a movie that was like this is a, a production company that was just out in the '80s to like in, you know release interesting movies and so before the right stuff it had released um body heat chariots of fire blade runner uh night shift (laughs) and uh and the right stuff the right stuff bankrupted it it was just like well (laughs) there there it goes the two things i know or associate with them is they have the most like 80s tastic logo in that like that (laughs) tree just kind of scans across the screen yeah yeah it's cool Um, i like it and they were kind of they were kind of like the A24 of the day like they were like a director oriented mm-hmm. studio they would just let directors and creatives do what they needed they would give them tons of money i mean they were it was a cool studio and and even they around the same time the right stuff came out they did release a huge hit for them that apparently wasn't enough to like save them which was police academy Hell oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So they eventually fold. They release Once Upon a Time in America as well. Then they, I find this fascinating, they just disappear for 10 years. 
Yeah, and, and they came back and they did like Braveheart and won Best Picture. Yes, and then they disappeared again and then they did Gone Baby Gone. Which, I don't know, I just find that interesting. It's a bizarre, kind of forgotten company that had some pretty big contributions. I mean, this and Blade Runner and yeah. Blade Braveheart. Um, so the, the other thing I wanted to... to ask about is we kind of talked about the plot and, and and Joe you mentioned sort of like a cynical view of it that you may have of it I was couldn't help thinking about when watching this this movie came on 83 does this feel like a very Reagan-y film and 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 the reason I asked that is I was thinking about Reagan's um inauguration speech uh when he first won in 80 I guess it would have been 81 when he gave it when he talked about how government is not the solution to our problem God. it is the problem and you in this movie even though, like in the behind the scenes, like there is insane amount of money being poured into this the space system. How much the government, the non the non pilots, are just looked at as like bumbling idiots? Yeah, yeah but those would those would all be the people that he would have liked. Though, though, like like the, his his argument doesn't extend to the military, you know. Well, yeah. but NASA's not really no, the it military, isn't. But the, like the the these are all like you know ex-military pilots and 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 i i think that someone with like reagan's brain which obviously i guess first of all would have a lot of holes in it but <laughs> well it's like, assuming 1980 there's it's 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 mostly fully formed because, okay so i i think like so if you were to take a read of this film that this film is just showing how these guys are just used and abused mm-hmm. like a lot of the things that i that i look at as being like pretty cynical like the scene when they um move the base to to houston and lbj like welcomes them into this weird like rodeo barbecue <laughs> yeah rodeo barbecue did look pretty awesome to well be I, I mean i don't think it did i mean i like i think it, like, it looks like, like a satanic festival or something yeah i i thought it was super creepy like and... they're they're just they slaughtered a cow and just like chopped off the head and put the rest on a spit it's like <laughs> 10 feet wide a, a reagan brand person would be like wow look look at how cool that is they get to live in texas and th- this like chubby guy who probably has pictures of kids locked up somewhere in his house is promising to furnish furnish their home like everything <laughs> that whole scene like they probably like a reagan brand person would be like wow i can't think of anything better than that but i don't think the film's attitude is that that was cool Wow, so the, the the reason I think that I guess is you know you you mentioned Joe about um you know someone eighteen seeing this movie now would they be like who cares and I, I doesn't isn't part of that you know if you look at like the first half of um this the twentieth century like there's a lot of examples of the government putting a large amount of money into things like obviously the New Deal most famously World War Two I mean it's a war but still like an insane amount the of money. internet I mean the internet is a government project <laughs> yeah but I mean like I but I I mean even like just you know leading up to the the um the space program like the idea of like the government in America putting all their resources into one giant thing wasn't as crazy as it is now well the government as an engine of innovation and progress I yes mean, you're right yeah we haven't seen that in, in a sustained Reagan. way in decades and, yeah and instead we have Elon Musk and his craziness that's like <laughs> now it's like our corporate now, yeah, cities are like Elon it. will you build a tunnel that one car at a time can drive down at 30 miles an hour <laughs> to solve our traffic problems I think I think this is an unintentional 
Reagan film in that it's very it's very fitting with his it's morning in America feeling mm-hmm. except this it makes people nostalgic for a period that wasn't actually that great yeah um the other thing that's interesting and I think that uh this really took a foothold in Reagan's America is that this is a movie that sticks it to the eggheads yes uh this this and you know, it sounds like I'm joking, but this is a slobs versus snobs movie. It and absolutely I, is. And I think that um, I read that some of the um, the astronauts, the Mercury 7 in real life, they, they kind of took umbrage with this. Because, like we said, like everyone who's not one of the astronauts is either a suit or just a bumbling scientist who doesn't yeah. know anything. Yeah, and I thought that kind of sucked. Yeah, it, I, I agree. I didn't like that. And... One of the reasons I really like Apollo 13 a lot is because, you know, much like the right stuff, it could take a lot of cheap shots and make all the kind of behind the scenes dudes into bumbling, like, nerds. But in Apollo 13, like, it kind of presents that everyone is in one common goal. They're all really smart in different ways, and they're all doing what they're there to do. But the scenes with the scientists and the right stuff, it, yeah, it's just thick German accents like, oh, this does not need a door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it, you, you compare it, interesting enough, to like uh, I watched the Mars rover landing when that was happening, and that is just like there's no astronauts. It's just a room full of nerds that are like hoping all their calculations they made pay off and yeah. we find out that something landed, which is cool in its own right. So, yeah, I... <sighs> I think that it is a Reagan-esque movie. I don't think it means to be. I just think it wound up being that way because it's a movie that sticks it to the nerds when the real men are going to go out there and do what needs to be done. And it makes people feel good about America when they really have no reason to. Yeah, and, and, and um, you know the other thing that's interesting about that is around the same time this comes out, um, John Glenn was a senator, a senior senator, I think, and there was he was running or either was running or did run for president. He, there was yeah, presidential buzz. I don't, I didn't deep dive into it. I don't know if he actually did any primaries. I think he did, and he lost to Mondale, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting that like you know, it, it the, like that's partly why some people think it failed because there was a lot of promotion around this about like oh, it's the John Glenn movie and. So, you know, people were probably tuning in because I want to know, like, well, what happened that was bad in here? Well, it was pretty bad. So uh, I mentioned at the end of the movie, uh, Chuck Yeager goes into a uh, a, a jet oh, and tries so- to beat the altitude, altitude record. So I watched the movie purposely, and I, I didn't look up what actually happened. And, and when I watched that scene, I was like, uh-oh, I think I yeah. see what might have gone wrong. So am I actually watching someone plummet to their death? No. Okay, thank you. You are not. Um, <laughs> I, I wondered the same thing. You are not. So uh, right. the only other thing I read before I get into this is I there. Now I'm going to quote some things from it, but there is a wonderful um, oral history of this movie on Wired, and I did read, and they didn't explain what happened, but I did read that um, someone lost their ear. <laughs> <laughs> Part to a big cat? Ear. Was it to a big cat? <laughs> I don't think it was. A so lion someone... ran from upset and bite a guy's ear <laughs> So there's an ear injury. But the big thing is, at the scene at the end with Jaeger, he's, his aircraft spins out of control, and he, like, ejects. Um, and in real life, he was, he was seriously burned, and he's able to, like, 
gathered up his parachute upon landing and, and he's fine because, you know, it's Chuck Yeager and he's the ultimate man's man, which we'll get into that too. Um, what happened in real life is there was this guy, a stuntman named Joseph Leonard Sveck, and uh, he was... Sounds a like mil- a commie. <laughs> he was a military guy. He was a... He was... He parachuted... Uh, in national parks, I guess, as well. He was, like, doing all these different things. So, anyways, they're recreating the scene, and it calls for him to have a helmet on and, obviously, a spacesuit, and he was going to be on top of a ejection seat made of black fiberglass uh, and he and equipped with an automatic activation device and a small parachute. I don't like so the, the plan any is of this. Hold the two handles on the seat and then release them on cue. The problem is they had attached a small smoke canister to his helmet because... Um, when Jaeger was ejected, the the Let's rocket make motor. Let's it so his, he can't see. <laughs> yeah, the rocket motor was um, forced to separation of the pilot from the seat, and it smashed into his helmet's faceplate and dislodged itself, which would produce heat and smoke and all sorts of stuff. So they were trying to do that. So in in Jaeger's situation, he had disabled the oxygen flow. He lifted the face shield, deployed his parachute, and survived. Did have to go to the hospital for a few days. Um, so. And, and when the spec was doing it, they, he wasn't able to stop the smoke. Uh, so on the, the test ones that they had, the initial jumps, he would, he would land and the smoke was still burning and he was coughing and choking underneath it. But, you know, and he would be able to land it and it was fine. So then they, they do the actual one, uh, 10, 10 and a half thousand feet. Um, and there's a camera operator there, um, Rande DeLuca, who jumped with him as well, which is crazy to think about this. So they held on to each other until they got to about three and a half thousand feet. Then they separated, and then, um, which is on purpose. And then DeLuca engages his main parachute. DeLuca is the camera guy. Svek, meanwhile, never does. He just continues to fall in a stable position. He never deploys either of his shoots. Um, uh, he and was he they, was he dead before he was ejected? Or... So they examined him, and the primary and reserve shoots showed no problems with either. So there wasn't any issues with the shoots, and there and and people who watched it said there was no signs of struggle. They don't really know what happened, but I think the prevailing theory is that essentially the smoke like pe- knocked him out inside of it, like it just like uh... he couldn't breathe, and he so he probably just like passed out d- on, during the jump, and so, then uh... was never able to like so deploy they ca- the parachute. It kept. In all the tests, he kept the smoke kept making him choke and cough. Yep. And they never it feels did like they could have they never fe- did fix it. It feels like they could have been like, you know what, we don't need the smoke. It's fine. No one's gonna be mad the smoke's not No one's gonna know except for I wouldn't the two, have known. No one would know. The only dude who'd know is the actual Chuck Yeager. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um Yeah, so that that's a bummer. Now I did read they didn't use any of that footage on there. Um Thank God. But that just means they did it again because in the movie you see smoke. Yeah, but they might have. They might have. Yeah, I guess. You think they brought in another? They brought in another stunt jump, and they're like, "Yeah, you just." I don't know. Or why didn't yeah, they just do uh, the shots with the smoke with a dummy? So the first dude died. So you're up. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you were our backup. You yeah, know, the movie kind of does the same thing that it's criticizing about how it's putting these people on the line. For him, for the, sure. The stunts and just the explosions and models involved in this movie are insane. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it looks amazing. It, it really does. Like, it, it, all the, the 
the scenes where they're flying and jets are like going into free fall and the atmosphere just it's it's top gun level it's 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 interesting you mention that because they uh in the um oral history they talk about how they put a camera on a wingtip gas tank on a on a jet to get some shots and uh one of the guys that they use this guy named art shoal who was like a pilot that could do really incredible things he died making top gun or like doing footage I mean, part of it also is just, like, back to this whole movie. This whole jet thing is insane. <laughs> like, this is just an insane thing to do. You mentioned this looks great, and part of it looks great because it's, you know, this is like It's a real. Pretty, it's real. <laughs> but there's one example where, oh, okay, so when Jaeger goes up to break the sound barrier, um, this is a quote from the that oral history, you look down and you see the desert beneath. We had giant sheets of butch paper butcher paper of desert scenes paint on them and somebody was pulling the paper very slowly underneath the model so it looked like you were at 20,000 feet with the earth <laughs> moving below. That's awesome. That rules. It's awesome that you can do that and it looks incredibly real. It is someone with paper just yeah. pulling paper and I don't know. I mean, yeah, listen, that's but, I, sometimes just the cheapest sounding thing possible is realistic. Movie yeah. magic. Yeah, I mean, it is fun. Like, practical effects. We talked about this Bram Stoker's Dracula as well. I mean, when it's done well, God, it looks so good and it ages so well. And, and uh, you know, Joe, you were talking about this being a movie about dudes just, just having a good time. Well, let me tell you, one of my favorite things reading in the oral history is the actors in real life had a really good time, oh, too. Oh, I, I bet they did. Um, and, oh, yeah, uh, we haven't even mentioned who's in this movie. Yeah, let's let's get through it. So Sam Shepard is Chuck Yeager. Sam Shepard is just not a fair person in humanity that, like... He's like a, you know, a playwright and author that's like a big deal and also like a good looking dude that could like be in movies. Married, well. married Jessica Lang. I think yeah. he's the most, the best performance. He delivers the best performance in the movie, I thought. Um, I, I think he's super charismatic. Uh, it's unfortunate because he disappears for a really, really long time. Yeah. But when he comes back at the end, you're like, ah, oh, there's Chuck. I would, you know, I, I don't know if I agree, but I think that's a very valid point. But the Chuck Yeager stuff feels like an entirely different movie. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, people who are in this movie. All right, Sam Shepard is Chuck Yeager. We have Fred Ward. Fred Ward is one of those guys that we see him like, oh, that guy, I like that guy. Halfway, That's Fred Ward. Halfway through this movie, I'm like, oh, he's the the dad in Road Trip. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that that guy Which is pro- in. Which I bet he would not be proud of that. Like, I think No, he, he's in a lot of Robert he, Altman movies, He's too. been in a ton of movies, but for people of a certain era, that's... <laughs> That are a certain age, that's the connection that's probably going to click. We got uh, Dennis Quaid. We have Ed Harris. I think Ed Harris, let me tell you this about Ed Harris. Here's my. Never, had, like never had hair. That guy, there, listen, I, I'm lucky. We're all pretty lucky. We all have pretty good heads of hair. Man, if I was losing hair, I would just watch Ed Harris clips. Like a like a young <laughs> like 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 a you know like a kid who's watching like old Dan Marino tapes who wants to be a good quarterback like that guy has no hair and it doesn't matter but, He's but, so but he cool. doesn't even do the like all right well I'm bald now I'm gonna shave no nope. He's like no I'll just leave it right nope, around the that, sides it's fine. I- I think those those two those two things are not in opposition. He realized right away. He's like, well, I'm not gonna try to hide it. Yep, just, just gonna buzz it. And man. It, it works. Is he you know? the bald king? I think uh, in some ways is, because he didn't, he's not, you know, like I, I, I haven't really Michael Jordan. I, 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 like, I'm just trying to like, uh, it's just tough to do off the top of your head. 
But it might be worth examining in more detail, like who the bald kings are. And it's got to be guys who embrace baldness, that who are not yep. in bald denial. Yeah. Exactly. Like and, John and Travolta why... and Nick Cage are in bald denial. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, mm-hmm. yes. Like, um, and, and... like, embarrassingly. Like, maybe they're like the bottom ten, right? So this this is not in movies, but I think the spirit is there. Uh, Michael Stipe. Ah, that's Mike, good. Michael well, Stipe. he produces what? movies. I don't know if yeah. he still does, but he did. But like the second Michael Stipe is like, oh, I'm losing my hair. Just nope, all off. Just yeah, just St- went right for it. Stanley Tucci's like a new, like a, a guy also who's like embracing the bald hair recently. Mm-hmm. Lance Henriksen, another one of those guys, uh, is he's an alien. He's Bishop an alien. This movie is very comforting to me because it's a group of guys who, even when they were young, looked super old. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's you're true. right. That's I didn't <laughs> think of that. You're right though. Uh, Lance have... Henriksen has always looked 48 years old. Oh, he, yeah. Except for Dennis Quaid. Like, everyone in here looks like an old man. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, but who doesn't is Harry Shearer and young Jeff Goldblum. Or Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. I didn't a... even realize that that was Harry Shearer. What a... well, he doesn't it's... really get to talk at all, though, in this What movie. a treat those two are. <laughs> They're, yeah, they're they're just they're just seasick. They're maybe they're egregious examples of like the nerd suck element. Yeah, in this yeah. Movie. They're they're the literally the suits who are sent to recruit the astronauts, and they get seasick. Yeah, seasick on the aircraft carrier. They um, probably so those, not a coincidence that they're. I'm pretty sure they're both Jewish. <laughs> we didn't mention the right stuff is based off a uh, a book, a uh, Tom Wolf book. Um, and and so that those those characters are not in the book. And essentially, it sounds like um, the uh, the director of this movie, Philip Kaufman, essentially was just like, "Did you guys just just improv it?" They're compo- <laughs> they're composite characters. Yeah, they are there to move the plot along. And by the way, that's fine. I'm fine with the idea of yeah composite characters. But again, like they're just. You know, it's just obvious, like, oh, the eggheads are coming to town to recruit the real men. Like, mm-hmm. they go in a bar, and it's like, oh, I'll have a Coke, please. Oh. <laughs> you know who asked them if they want a whiskey in that in that scene? That's the real Chuck Yeager. Yeah. Oh, I knew he was in it, yeah. Yeah, that's him. Other fun people that are in this, um, we have Barbara Hershey we mentioned. We have Levon, Levon Helm. Levon who, from the band. Who's awesome. And the he's never looked better. my jet came crashing down. <laughs> he's also the narrator. He's a narrator, and he's never looked healthier than he does in this movie. Has, I mean, yeah. And and he, why didn't he narrate every movie? I know. It's awesome. Like, and I, Does he have the best speaking voice ever? Well, and I, I think it was in that Wired article. It talked about how... As cool as Sam Shepard did, is he did not have the right, like, the real Chuck Yeager. Like, that guy's a cowboy. Mm-hmm. And they needed someone with that kind of West Virginia drawl. And I don't know how they settled on Levon Helm, but good choice, guys. Good, good choice. choice. We have uh, uh, John Glenn's uh, wife, Annie Glenn, is played by Mary Jo Deschanel, who is the mother of Zoe Deschanel. Mm-hmm. So that's another fun fact. Um, this one I did not realize until today. Uh, there is a uh, a nurse, I guess, in the movie named Gonzalez, who um, who uh, the uh, Scott Glenn character has some run-ins with. Uh, he's Joe, the guy. You know he's this? the guy who escorts them when he's uh, exactly when they're racing the clock against their enema experiment. Well, that is none other than NFL Hall of Fame player Anthony Muno- M- Munoz. Awesome. <laughs> 
you know. I mean, he's huge. He, yeah. He, I mean, Scott Glenn and uh, the other guy isn't a famous person. Like, they're not, you know, they're like 5'10", 5'11". He is like a foot on them. He is uh-huh. giant. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't he, realize he it was He looks him. like he's carrying two children. <laughs> it seems so like that's... Philip Kaufman was like, you know, let's just find any small, doesn't matter how small the part is, we need to find someone for it who rocks. Yeah. And I love that about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we mentioned Chuck Yeager a little bit. Um, and we mentioned, I guess, we just didn't really passed get to it. relatively recently, like just, what, five months ago? He, he lived longer than anyone else in this movie. 97, like, all, I believe. All the other astronauts in real life died. And, <laughs> and Chuck Yeager was the last he, one alive. He died in 2020. That's incredible. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So is he like a hundred no. years old? Nine, uh, Ninety-seven. Yeah, he died wow. in. Yeah, he died in. In. in yep, yeah, December seventh, twenty twenty. Fun facts about him: uh, he flew more than two hundred different types of aircrafts. He trained not only the Mercury but Gemini and Apollo astronauts. Uh, during World War II, he shot down over a dozen German planes. Apparently, twice he that must shot have made down... it awkward when he was working in, at NASA. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> he shot down more than four planes in one day, twice. Um, he then later on flew combat missions uh, in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Um, just a fascinating dude. Also, I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but does anyone remember Chuck Yeager's air combat PC game? <laughs> no. <laughs> I did uh, read I didn't, that he had I, those. And that's I didn't have it, but I, I remember it was a thing. Get the yep, checks, I, man. Just get get the checks. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a well regarded uh, flight simulator game from 1991. So I'm sure it ages super well. Do you know he had the same answer every time someone asked him what it was like to to fly jets? What it was no, like to break he, the sound barrier? What did he say? I have seen this in seven different interviews of his. Uh, it's it's like it just over and over again. People would ask him what it feels like to go that fast, and he's like, "Feels amazing, but it doesn't beat sex." Every oh. consistently, decade after decade, that was the answer. That is a, that that's a dude's rock answer. <laughs> yes. So, as we as we go on, he about seems dudes. very horny in this movie. To be fair, yeah, but for only for his wife. He looks like Sam Shepard, so it helps. We talked about the different pilots, and we and and. Uh, Duff, I know you have some facts about the Mercury 7, but the one thing that we kind of referenced earlier is uh, uh, Gus Grissom. He's in a moment in this in the movie, in his character, where he he lands, and uh, he's supposed to sort of just wait, and instead he, like, deploys the, um, <clears throat> the like... Alleg- uh, maybe. Alleg- looks allegedly. Looks like he's having, like, a panic attack. Yeah, and he deploys the thing. Now, this is this is partly why most of the, the originally Mercury 7 were not a fan of this movie, because... Um, they don't think that's the case at all. And in fact, I forgot which one of them. One of the Mercury Seven, when he was doing his um, his space trip or whatever, when he got back, he purposely deployed it because he wanted to sh- prove to them the giant bruise you get on your arm when you when you deploy it. Because because um, Gus did not have that, so he like purposely deployed oh. it on his to be like, look at look at this bruise. He didn't have that bruise, so he clearly didn't do it. Dudes, rock! Yeah, <laughs> this this was a crew. Uh, that is a that is an what a that I'm genuinely touched by that. Yeah, I like, and again, like this is kind of goes to a criticism criticism of the movie. It seems like anyone at NASA, you know, whether you're a you're a computer dork or a jet fighter pilot, it, like in real life, it seems like they love each other. 
because they know everyone has an equal role. Whereas mm-hmm. this movie, it's like, oh, step aside, nerd. They're <laughs> going to put monkeys up there. Yeah. <laughs> Which I will say is kind of crazy when you think about it, that they're like, well, we can't lose one person. So we're going to train an entire staff of people to train a bunch of monkeys. To I do didn't it. even think about that because that comes right after they show scenes of the Air Force just sacrificing men left and right. Yeah. Although I guess there's no way you can get a monkey flying one of those jets. Although that'd be amazing. Yeah, like they, they killed multiple pilots like, well, maybe we'll just do a monkey. <laughs> so so what do we have? What do we have for our, our Mercury 7 fact stuff? So the before that, I, um, I wanted to mention the the criteria for being a Mercury Seven astronaut. Okay. Um, there were seven uh, criterion. One is you had to be less than forty years old. Okay. Check. You, you had to be we, less. Yeah, they probably had to check Ed Harris's ID several times. Before. <laughs> you have to be less than five eleven. So uh, Jamie, our relationship expert, he could he could he's got this over us. And that's because of the height limit on the Mercury spacecraft. Number three, you have to be in excellent physical condition. I don't know what excellent means. I doubt. But I, I, I I'm very confident in saying we all, all fail. Would you cough on purpose? <laughs> no. <laughs> I took a sip of water and went down the wrong pipe right as I said that. I assume that excellent physical condition involves that enema test. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I would not I, do well on that. I, I think there's only one thing we could do is we have to do the enema test. Oh, mm. no. <laughs> That's hey, that's the that's the Patreon content. There. Oh God. Um, okay. Um, number four, you have to have a bachelor's degree, or okay. equi- or equivalent. Check. We're all good there. Yep. Good. But number five, you have to graduate a test pilot school. Didn't I? I missed that. I missed those classes. No, Is it um, too late? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna not, turn forty I, soon. But. I'm not sure if these criteria are still in effect. I mean, you'll need to shrink too. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe I'll shrink down to 5'11". You had to be under 5'11 or 5'11"? You had to be it just less than 5'11". So One, I need to shrink about an inch and a half mm-hmm. and um, graduate from flight school in uh, 12, in uh, about in about 18 months. Joe, you'll need to get 15 out, 1,500 hours of total flying time. Sure. And you need to be a qualified jet pilot. Um, it, it's a tall task, but I think you can do it, buddy. Okay. Listen, uh, but I, I, how do you? How can I shrink an inch and a half? You hmm. can you can just uh, sandpaper your bottom of your feet for a few days. <laughs> if you put sandpaper in your shoes and you don't wear socks, you'll lose an inch. <laughs> um. So that I thought that was pretty interesting. That was that was like the base level criteria. I found a fun fact about each of the Mercury Seven. Um. So, so I'm gonna start with kind of the more mundane. John Glenn, kind of a dork. Um, but people forget he was one of the Keating Five. He was a uh, a U.S. senator involved with the savings and loan scandal, um, and basically mm. he was caught because he he got a two hundred thousand dollar cam- campaign contribution from the Lincoln Savings and Loan, who was mysteriously uh, their head Charles Keating. He was mysteriously uh, not prosecuted. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, uh, it seems Weird. like there's an interesting thing with like NASA and war heroes uh, being part of that. Yeah, John McCain was also one of the Keating Five. Yep, he was one of the Keating Five as well. Uh, So now, Scott Carpenter, who's one of the few people, I don't know who the actor is, Charles Frank, uh, this dude, after his NASA stint, he was talking to Jacques Cousteau about how much he loves the ocean. And Jacques Mm -hmm. Cousteau 
encouraged him to join the C-Lab project, and he did. Wow. In, in 1965, in Sea Lab 2, he spent 28 days living under the sea. Is he That's awesome. the father of James Cameron? <laughs> um, so now we have Gus Grissom. And Gus Grissom was tragically killed uh, at the Apollo 1 test launch. Not even mm-hmm. the actual launch. Uh, but in 1971, his widow, Betty Grissom, she followed a wrongful death suit against the Apollo uh, program's contractor, uh, North American Rockwell, and they eventually settled for three hundred fifty thousand dollars in nineteen seventy two, and she actually encouraged the all the widows and widowers of the Challenger to sue, and get get their money. Oh, um, so Big Bird can get the, can get that purse. <laughs> get that Sesame Scream money. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Wally Shira. He's Wally the, Shira, by the way, before he said he is the guy who 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 on his lunch um, stood up for Gus and and he did punch the thing. That was the guy yeah, who did it. This is the Lance Henriksen character. Yeah. Um. So he went up on I think Apollo Seven and he had a head cold, which sounds awful. Yeah. Oh, sounds terrible. So he took a combination of pseudo ephedrine decongestant mm-hmm. with a uh, trip. Tripolidine antihistamine, and later this was marketed as Actifed, and he became their pitch man. <laughs> nice, get paid. Oh. So Alan Shepard, this is Scott Glenn character. Rob, you are a kindred spirit because Alan Shepard had Meniere's. Oh, maybe, okay. Maybe give the audience a little explanation about Meniere's. Uh, so Meniere's disease is something that mostly old women get, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> You know, <laughs> true. And Alan Shepard, a noted astronaut, Alan Shepard and I have it. So does Huey Lewis. Uh, and essentially, the two big things are uh, one of your ears, hopefully it's only one of your ears, will um, usually suffer um, gradual hearing loss. Sometimes it can stop. It depends. Uh, and the other thing that is more problematic for people than me, luckily, so far, is um, you have a lot of dizzy spells because it's uh, it's it affects the, uh, the the liquid in your ear. Bad thing to have if you're a pilot. <laughs> I, yeah, big time. So, so he yeah. he was removed from flight status in the mid '60s, but in 1968 he went to a doctor, who this doctor said, "I can fix your meniers," and they opened his mastoid bone what? And, made, and made a tiny hole in the endrolymphatic sac. Uh-huh. A small tube was inserted to drain excess fluid, and it worked. He was returned to flight status in 1969. Rob! Wow. Wow. Well, Rob! He... <laughs> and, and, Let's do it! And, I could uh, cut a hole in a little sack. Yeah, we got a power drill. Come on. <laughs> and he, another interesting fact, he was supposed to be on Apollo 13, but they they thought that it was cutting it too close. That because Apollo thirteen was nineteen seventy, and he was basically he, the surgery was in nineteen sixty eight, and he was restored to flight status in sixty nine. Um, they said no, that's cutting it pretty close, um, and they gave it to Jim Lovell, who's the the Tom Hanks character in Apollo thirteen. Oh, but okay. He did get. He was the oldest man to set foot in the moon on Apollo fourteen. Good for him. Okay, that's a fun fact. Uh, so that's an inspiring story for you, Rob. Yes, wonderful. Me and um, old women around the world. So now, um, we have the second to last, we have Deke Slayton. 
Sparta, Wisconsin native. Oh, how about that? Uh, Deke Slayton's childhood, it it was uh, pretty old-fashioned. They did not have, he was born in the 20s, but they did not have electricity or indoor plumbing. Um, at the age of five, he lost his uh, left ring finger in a horse-drawn hay mower. <laughs> what? Wow. Did he ever get married? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Um, you, but if you lose the left ring finger, your marriage is annulled. Well, do you put the do you put the ring on a different finger in your left hand, or do you put it on your right? Nope, bachelor for life. Them's the rules. Yeah, <laughs> the marriage is annulled. The missing ring finger almost eliminated him from consideration from the Mercury, Apollo, NASA projects, but they his superiors checked the regula- regulations and discovered that's the only finger that you could lose. What? Yeah, you can. I was you about can... to say, what is the least important finger? I mean, when you think about it, mo- you know, 90% of people are right-handed, so it's already on your your non-dominant hand. And then, mm-hmm. so I think I've saved the best for last. Okay. I think this hits a lot of Midnight Boys territory. Oh, boy. Because okay. this is this is old Gordo, played by Dennis oh. Quaid. Okay. And whenever you have something in your Wikipedia, when you have a chapter called UFO Sightings... <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be good. He, but with did all, he this, team up? all this UFO stuff that's supposedly about to come out, he might be about to be vindicated. Well, hope- Please tell me he teamed up with the dude from Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> so I know is- real astronauts did, like real like scientists did. Harry Reid. Harry Reid was a bi- uh, Jimmy Carter, I think, was a big proponent that we knew about UFOs. Um, okay. Uh, so Gordo claimed to have seen his first UFO in West Germany in 1951. His second second UFO was 1957 at the Edwards Air Base. Mm. And he was so convinced there are UFOs. Um, he had this crew there set up. I'm probably going to butcher the name. It's Ascania Synetheodiolite Landing System. So like in contact, like all that really fancy gear, it's something like that. It, it could take pictures at one frame per second. Okay. And... So according to the crew, they they captured a strange-looking saucer-like aircraft that did not sound that did not make a sound on landing or takeoff. Cooper and uh, this is Gordon Cooper. He said that they were called the crew who saw like they saw all this army stuff, so they knew some crazy stuff. They said they were unnerved. Uh, mm-hmm. They said they saw it land fifty feet away, extend some landing gears, and then take off as they approached. So Gordon, so Cooper called for a Penta, he called the Pentagon to report the instant incident. He was instructed to have the film developed, but make no prints of it and then send it to the Pentagon in a locked courier pouch. Uh, but Cooper, um, he looked at it anyway, and he claimed that the, the photography was excellent and that it corresponded or, or corroborated what the, uh, the, the other crew at this base saw. He expected there to be a follow-up in- investigation, but uh, you know he he got stonewalled by the Pentagon. the The Pentagon supposedly lost them. Um, Coop, Cooper went to his grave claiming the U.S. government was covering up UFO information. He said that there were hundreds of pilots who had claimed to have seen UFOs, and he actually testified before the UN on the topic in 1978. Wow. Wow fascinating gordo gordo no he knew some stuff man so hopefully hopefully he's vindicated um so guys do you have anything else you want to talk about with 
the right stuff. As I was watching this, I was like, man, going real fast is real cool. Which craft would you most want to go real fast in? Now, it doesn't have to be. It, I, I, it could be as vague as, like, boat, car, uh, okay, plane. Okay, I have my answer on this because I'm lame and I don't like going fast. <laughs> so your, your answer say, is download speed. No. <laughs> I'm going to say I would go on a super fast train. I don't have to do anything. I just sit in it, and it takes me somewhere really fast. Maybe I can sit in a little dining area. Have you been on a high-speed train before? No, I've only been on Amtrak, no, he, which is he, certainly not high-speed. Oh, Joe, no. Joe, he's an American, so no. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, I've been on a high-speed rail in Europe. I, I think now the high-speed rail in, like, Japan and China far outstrips, like, the main ones in Europe, I think. I guess I don't know for sure. Is but, it awesome being on a high-speed train? You're going real fast. <laughs> it's but it, it's which is always always cool but in comfort yeah it's it's quite comfortable and like you it's not like it's not like you, you look like these guys in these jets where your eyes are rolling <laughs> in the back <laughs> but yeah it, you you go like you know you take you take the train from you know i don't know london to paris which involves going under the sea and oh uh, yeah you're just like what are we like and and you at least at the times I've, you know, taken taken rail in Europe, you know, the security thing takes five or ten minutes. And then you go on a train that can go, whatever, 200 miles an hour or something like that. It's just like, man, in the United States, it's like, drive or spend more than it would cost for an airplane ticket to ride Amtrak yeah. and go slower. Take a four-hour flight to L.A. and then take a two-hour tram. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or spend an hour and a half at the airport before and after each flight. Yeah. It's just like it's about it, 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 it'll frustrate you. But yeah, going in a so, train real fast is real cool. So you want to be so on like how, a snowpiercer train, Rob? Well, not the snowpiercer train. <laughs> like, clear. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're at the front, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it just smells like kids. <laughs> um. All right. Well, what about you, Joe? What would be? How are you? How Man, are you going to go? I, I, I would. I would love <laughs> going in one of those fighter like jets. Just seems like it would be so awesome, man. Oh, yeah, it just oh. seems like it'd be so cool. Like that would be my answer. Like to be like the co-pilot, like like, the, like to be Goose, except not die. Yeah, would be so <laughs> well. You, you could be Maverick. Well, yeah, I don't want to actually be flying it though. I don't want to. I, it's too uh, late for me. You so you want to be the wingman? Because because uh, uh, Chuck Yeager in like the late '90s, I think, or maybe sometime in the early 2000s, and in the 65th anniversary of him breaking the pretty sure it's the 65th it might be the 55th anniversary of him breaking the sound barrier he did it again as a co-pilot so in those two-seater jets i just want to be the dude that sits in the back and just vibes and goes so it goes oh <laughs> so they sent in in the right stuff they sent dennis quaid up with a test pilot oh cool and uh he had a little recorder and and uh, this is from the uh oral history and uh, the director, Phil Kaufman, leaned over to the test pilot and said, give him an exciting ride. Yeah. So they go up and they come back down and Dennis Quaid is like, you know, clearly sick. And the, the sound guy goes to get the recorder and Dennis Quaid had thrown up all over it. <laughs> and then in the dailies, apparently you can see Dennis Quaid smiling and then the pilot starts doing barrel rolls and Dennis just disappears. <laughs> like you just don't see him anymore. And uh, they asked him about it, and uh, and and Dennis Quaid said, "Oh, I had my script on the floor, and I was just checking my lines." <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure I would regret it immediately, but I would definitely um, get into yeah. that seat and I'd go up. I think that'd be so fun, man. What about you, Duff? 
as as afraid as I am of of meeting the mailer demon up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if for anyone who's curious, they the pilot. I think it's Jaeger says that if you get going fast enough, there's a demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I get, man. Sound yeah. of speed seems impossible I mean, for a person. If your go. brain is almost literally melting, yeah, there's a demon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so I think the first time I really read about this was um, again about Apollo 13. Whereas one way that they filmed that is they would they would put the actors in. Uh, oh, and yeah, and jets, and they'd like they they'd put them up there in a a plane, and the plane would just free fall, and but then stop. And but then while they're in the free fall, they would have zero gravity. And I feel like I'd like to do that. Wow. I guess wild. that's going real fast. That's, yeah. It counts. And that's, going, that's it, even better answer. Well, I don't know if I'd rather I mean, do that these, than the fighter jet the, thing. Both would these be cool. Are, these are all pretty terrifying answers. I'm gonna have a cocktail on mine on a on a on a train. What if you sip a cocktail? You're, you're gonna sit there and sip a whiskey with your Kindle <laughs> and be like, I'm going two hundred and fifty yeah. miles an hour. Well, <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get jacked when our Captain America comes through. <laughs> I hope we can Honestly. I hope we can travel Europe together, Rob, someday, so that when we get on a high speed rail, I could be like, Here you go, Rob! It's <laughs> your moment <laughs> Um Uh so I'm gonna I'm gonna segue guys to the the final movie that we're gonna talk about. <laughs> we're gonna do this... we're gonna dig right into some racisms next week. Yes, we are going to talk about a movie. Like, listen, I don't want everyone I don't want everyone to see the next movie and be like, I don't know anything about it. I'm not gonna listen to it. Listen, it's a terrible movie. I'm certain of it. <laughs> we haven't seen it. It's considered awful. But you don't need to you, watch. Hey, you guys, you guys out there, you know Genghis Khan. You yep. You know John Wayne. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's bring what them together. We, yeah, let's let's have John Wayne play Genghis Khan. But but we're doing this movie not because of the movie. We're doing it no. because it is the king of when movies attack. Yes, this one took its time, but we're going to talk about the nineteen. 19- <laughs> Th- this one played the long game. <laughs> oh we're going to talk about the nineteen fifty six film, The Conqueror, uh, which, as uh, Duff and Joe mentioned, has John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. <laughs> It's also a Howard Hughes produced movie, so we get some Howard Hughes content, and we'll get to it. But let's just say they weren't thoughtful on where they shot the movie at, and <laughs> that, people paid for it. Yeah, that's let's leave it at that. Yep. So that's what happens next week, and and uh, and as you know, Joe mentioned earlier. Listen, we have a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The Midnight Boys, two dollars a month, and you can listen to more content. We uh, have a episode on uh, the Witches of Eastwick that you can listen to. Did anyone die making that? No, we just wanted to talk about it. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to continue talking about uh, you know when these movies keep attacking.